Well, this morning our gospel lesson is from Matthew. This Sunday is not only the first day of a brand new year, but it is also um, the epiphany of our Lord. Matthew talks about the epiphany in chapter 2. He says, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to you, Lord Christ. You know, I've often been fascinated by the story of the wise men. Some places they're called the three kings, others the magi. And it's tradition. I think, that maintains that there were three of them, although that's not directly supported uh, anywhere in Scripture. I think the number three is logical, though, based on the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So that number three fits really nicely into the narrative. And there's also no mention of them being royalty. They're often referred to as three kings, but... There's no mention that they were actually royalty, although their gifts were certainly indicative of people of substantial wealth. But there is one characteristic that I think is truly supported in Scripture. And that is that they were wise, learned men with a knowledge of astronomy. They knew how to navigate using the stars. And they had an ability to discern truth versus deception. Tradition also puts the wise men at the manger scene. 
we have them uh, at our own major scene out front. The manger scene was not the place where the wise men fell to their knees and worshipped Jesus. That's not where they presented the gifts. They weren't alongside the shepherds and the animals. Scripture supports that some time had passed. And it refers to Jesus as no longer an infant, but a child. And they aren't in the manger, they're in a house. And so the scholars have determined, based on the original texts, that the wise men actually showed up one, maybe even two years after the birth. And the star that had caused them to set out on their long journey guided them to Jerusalem, to Herod first. And then after they had talked to Herod, when they came out, there was the star leading them to Bethlehem. Now, these are just nuances in a story. And I don't think it changes the essence of the story for us to have wise men on camels and whatnot out in front of our church in the manger scene. I don't think it distracts at all from the purpose of the wise men. Because I think the thing that fascinates me most about the story of the Magi is their willingness to investigate the sign that was given to them. Their hunger for answers to the questions raised in their hearts and in their mind by the appearance of an unfamiliar star in the heavens. Their perseverance in traveling great distances, seeking the answers to questions that were rooted really in a foreign belief system. It wasn't in their culture that a Messiah would be born. It also speaks to their willingness to investigate a set of writings that were really counter-cultural to them. They, they were not comfortable coming from Persia to be reading the Torah, a Jewish set of writings. You see how they stepped out of their comfort zone? See how they thought outside the box? How they went against the grain? How they were living on the edge in order to gain the knowledge and the understanding that they were seeking? And I wonder how many of us today have that kind of hunger for the truth. And when I'm speaking of us, I'm speaking to the culture in general. How many people have that kind of hunger for the truth today? How many of us living in the world today have the willingness and the initiative to set out on a journey of discovery based simply on the signs that we've been provided? What kind of signs? Signs given in Scripture. Signs given in our own personal experiences with the provenient grace. The justifying grace. The sanctifying grace of God. How many of us have a working knowledge of what those different types of grace even are? And why they're important? How many of us living today are even curious about, let alone willing to discover, what the basic tenets of our faith mean? 
How many people in our culture today are willing to drive down the street to their local church, never mind travel thousands of miles, to spend some time learning all they possibly can about the God who created them and His Son who came to save them? There is a church every few hundred yards in this community. And every one of them has a Bible study or two, and all of them have more empty seats than they do occupied seats on any given Sunday and at any given Bible study. If every person in this community that needed to know Jesus actually attended those studies and church services, we'd all need bigger churches. But sadly, that's not the current reality, is it? And here's the thing. The thing is, all of us were created to be the Magi. Our true nature is to hunger for a relationship with God. Our true nature is to seek Him out and to not be satisfied with unanswered questions. That's how we were built. When we follow our true nature, then we are the Magi on the hunt for the truth, looking for the revelation of Christ in our lives. We're looking for the epiphany, which is the understanding of who He is and who we are in relationship to Him. We're looking for the epiphany, the light of understanding to penetrate the darkness of ignorance. The light of life to cut through the darkness of the shadow of death which we have been existing under since the fall. When we seek Christ, we are the Magi. Why is it important to seek Him? Well, Matthew talks about that in a few chapters towards, uh, towards the back of the book. He says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at the left. It's always kind of funny. People get uncomfortable when they realize which side of the sanctuary they're sitting on, but it really has nothing to do with that. <laughs> then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, 
You did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer. Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. See, it's important to take the initiative to seek Him because not to seek Him, not to know Him, means spiritual death, eternal separation from God, unspeakable isolation and desolation. Revelation 21.8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters... And all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. But to seek him means that we will find him. And when we find him, we find life and truth. Revelation 21.1.7 tells us that it will be what it will be like for those who seek him. And it's a whole different story. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. We are at day one of a brand new year. The opportunities are laid out before us if we will only take the initiative and Act on them. Make the word commit. The word commit. Make that part of your lifestyle this year. Commit to make seeking Him a priority. Commit to involving Him in your life. Your everyday life. Commit to studying His word. 
Commit to sharing His message. Commit to equipping yourself to be a minister of the faith. Commit to learning all you can about who He is and who you are. Commit to Bible study. Commit to church attendance above any and all other activities. Commit to serving others. Commit to putting Jesus in the center of everything. Commitment is covenant. And we worship a God who is both a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. Commit. That's the word for 2017. Commit. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Let's make this new year the time and the season for seeking God and abiding in His perfect will through commitment. Commitment. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.